you think when you have a child, you'll have them forever. You don't think when you have them that, uh, oh, I'm only going to have them for X amount of years. Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans, and sometimes their spouses. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Hey, everyone. If you clicked play on this episode, I hope it's because you have already listened to part one of Kelly Cribb's Abad's disappearance out of Kadena. If you haven't listened to part one, I would suggest pausing and going back to listen to part one, then continuing here. Real quick, before I get started, I just wanted to hop on and ask you all for a giant favor. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to click the plus or the check mark on whatever app you're listening to. That allows you to follow the show and ensures you're the first to know when a new episode comes out. Additionally, if you love the show, please leave me a five-star review. You can leave reviews on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. This truly helps me and helps new fans find the show among the masses. On with the show. This week, I'm bringing you the conclusion of Kelly Cribb's Abad's disappearance. Kelly went missing on October 26, 2011, after returning to her house on Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan. Kelly and her husband Vince had been having an argument that day. Kelly's disappearance has been ruled a suicide by the Air Force OSI office, although her body has never been found. A quick disclaimer, no one has ever been named as a suspect, and while suspicions run high when you look up Kelly's case on Facebook, in subreddits, or comments anywhere, no one has been charged and the Air Force has cleared Kelly's husband as a suspect in Kelly's disappearance. With that in mind, let's explore. Join me today as I tell you the conclusion of the mysterious disappearance of Kelly Cribbs Abad. Now, let's dig in. Chapter 5, Kelly and the Other Military Spouses at Kadena Living overseas among a military community is, it's just hard to explain. The camaraderie among the military when you're overseas is so different than being stateside because close family is not nearby and they are typically not a phone call away depending on the time difference. So your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, they become family. Need a last minute babysitter? Chat with your best friend slash neighbor who you just met two weeks ago. Need an emergency contact? We got you covered even though we just met you two days ago. Want to go on a weekend vacation? Your new best friends will tag along. It truly is an experience, and you have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. Well, Okinawa apparently has all types of groups for anything that you can imagine. And of course, like in any major city, military or non-military, there is the Buy, Sell, Trade Facebook page. Okinawa has one called the Okinawa Yard Sale. Well, Kelly was big on buying and selling on this page. I'm not sure if she was a bored housewife or just liked being a part of something. Honestly, she probably just liked getting kid-related items at great prices. Same girl, same. Ain't nothing like gently worn hand-me-downs for $2 a piece, okay? Well, one day, a military spouse by the name of Kate was selling her kitchen table, and Kelly immediately responded to the post. Interested! Kelly agreed to meet Kate at her house to look at the table. So I was an Air Force wife. She was an Air Force wife. There's this thing called Okinawa Yard Sale. I was selling my kitchen table and on my kitchen table, when she came to check it out, she lingered, right? And she a hundred percent was a lonely woman. I could tell instantly when she walked in, she lingered. She tried staying and having conversation. I just met this lady. She came into my house to buy my kitchen table and she's like telling me all about her husband's and her kids. But like, I let her talk because, you know, you could tell she didn't have any friends she didn't get out much. I do remember her saying to me, like, it's so good to have conversation with like an adult. So, I mean, she probably stayed for an hour while she was buying my table. Okay. She took the table and I met her. That's the first time I met her husband. When Kelly arrived, she was bubbly and happy. And well, she tended to kind of just linger at the house after seeing the table. 
Kelly told Kate that it felt so good to have a conversation with an adult. Kelly purchased the table. She stayed for an entire hour, but before leaving, Kelly caught wind that Kate did hair. And after getting details about where Kate did hair, Kelly became one of Kate's regular customers, coming in every three to four months like clockwork to get her hair styled. About six weeks before Kelly went missing, she was at the salon getting her hair done, and Kelly asked Kate, well, I'll let Kate tell you. So six weeks before she disappeared, I did her hair. And it was the last time I saw her. And she asked me, she's always like, oh my God, you and Sam like seem like you have so much fun. And she's like, you know, you guys seem like a lot of fun. Like I'd really love to go out and stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I normally have a thing about hanging out with clients. Like I don't do that. But like, I felt bad. So I was like, yeah, sure. Like you can come. So she's like, all right, let me go call my husband. So from my salon, it's like a garage door. So it's very thin. You can hear everything. Ain't none of my business, whatever. I'm cleaning up. I'm doing my thing. I'm making coffee. And she's on the phone with him arguing. Like she's upset. She's being like, why can't I go out? Like you could tell on the other end, he was like, no, you're not allowed. And she came back in and lied to my face and said, oh, I totally forgot we had this thing to do with the kids tonight. Maybe next weekend. As I was talking to Kate about that night, Kate remembered that Kelly was crying when she couldn't go out that night. And she even told her, quote, I totally forgot because I'm stupid, end quote. Kate shared with me that Kelly's disappearance haunts her, but even more so with how it was handled and how after she vanished, everyone wanted to be as far removed from the situation as possible. During my conversation with Kate, she shared that while that last time that Kelly teared up in her house was the last time she saw Kelly, it wasn't the last time she spoke to Kelly. Here is Kate again. So then the next weekend, I'm out. She calls me, asks what I'm doing. She kind of seemed upset. I feel very bad to this day. I still think about it. I have dreams about it. I have dreams about this conversation on the phone with her because I feel like she was trying to get away from whatever was going on because she seemed upset. She wanted to see if I could hang out. I said I was already out and she was like, oh, okay. And again, I, I just, I really feel bad about that. And so we're, you know, talking. She's like, oh no, it's okay. Like, I'll talk to you again. Kate was out on the town and it was almost 10 p.m. She had one too many drinks by that point and Kate got a call from Kelly. She wanted to hang out, but Kate said she was already out. That was the last time Kate spoke to Kelly because five weeks later, Kelly would go missing. When I asked Kate to tell me about her conversation with Kelly because sometimes, you know, we share things with our hairdresser that we wouldn't share with our other friends. Well, Kate felt some sort of way. She felt that Kelly was hired help saying, quote, Vince would dictate how she would raise the kids, end quote. Kate even shared with me that Vince would put Kelly down if the house was a mess and if he got home from work and the kids weren't out of their pajamas. She said, quote, Kelly loved those kids. She would do anything for them, end quote. Kate also shared with me that sometimes Kelly would bring the kids into the salon to get their hair done. Kate had seen Vince on occasion when he would come into the salon to pay for Kelly's hair bill. And Kate shared with me something I never knew. But apparently, as a beautician, she had become aware that some men tend to control how their wives style their hair to the point where women will get upset that their husbands won't like their hairstyle. Well, in the few times that Kate saw Vince, she said that Vince had an attitude problem about how Kelly did her hair. After Kelly went missing, Kate noticed that a bunch of military spouses were acting just weird. Kate had a friend named Sam who did nails, and she shared the oddest story with Kate about Kelly. I never spoke to Sam personally, but we did exchange a few messages. And this is what I learned about Sam. About three weeks before Kelly went missing, there was a girls only going away party on Gate 2 Street. Kelly and Sam were invited to this going away party by a mutual friend. Kelly and Sam did not know each other personally, and they didn't even hang out that night. But during the night, group pictures were taken, and well, as typically happens, many of these pictures ended up on Facebook. Well, after Kelly went missing, Sam was shocked when she was asked, I don't know by who, to remove pictures from that night. Sam thought it was so weird that people wanted her to remove the picture of a missing woman from earlier. And apparently others were asked to remove pictures with Kelly in them. It was almost as if after Kelly vanished, everyone just wanted to forget she ever even existed. Something about how things were handled didn't sit right with Kate or Sam. 
Kate did go to the investigators and made a formal statement, but she never heard back from anyone asking for a follow-up. Kate recalls that after Kelly went missing, she saw Facebook pictures of Vince smiling in front of caves with a caption saying he was out looking for Kelly. But Kate believes that there was some hypocrisy in the pictures, something about a smile when you claim to be looking for your missing spouse. It just didn't sit right with her. Kate shared with me that for the last decade since Kelly went missing, beauticians are being trained on how to spot signs of domestic violence in clients, especially since when a woman sits in that beauty chair for hours on end, they tend to open up more freely than they would during a normal conversation. Days after Kelly went missing, her husband changed his Facebook profile picture to an angry, incredible Hulk picture, which many people thought was odd. Also, and weirdly, more than one person told me about this picture during my interviews. But apparently, the Incredible Hulk profile picture was short-lived, as it was changed after a day. I think the Hulk picture was telling because one person I interviewed told me that Kelly had spoke about how controlling her husband was, and also she had spoken about his anger issues. And while we are on the topic of Facebook pictures, here is Stacy sharing about another very bizarre picture allegedly posted by Vince in the weeks after his wife vanished. There's another really strange photo in here where Vince cropped out Kelly's face. It was a picture of her with her children and Vince cropped out Kelly's face and pasted his own face in the family picture. Chapter six, the husband. Kelly and Vince Abad did not have a perfect marriage, but not just in the typical disagreements. According to people who knew Kelly, Kelly appeared afraid of Vince, but more in the she didn't want to disappoint him, and it appeared that he was the type to be easily disappointed. But this wasn't just in words or feelings. According to Facebook messages reviewed by Matt Burke, Vince had gotten physical with Kelly at least once that we know of. Kelly felt like her marriage was coming to an end because Vince told her he wanted a divorce because of one of Kelly's indiscretions. Kelly shared a Facebook message with a friend saying, quote, he's really wanting a divorce. He looks at me. It's of emptiness. He's giving us another chance, but his heart is not really in it, end quote. In a different message, Kelly shared with a friend, quote, he hit me like almost two weeks ago. So he got the command involved, told them we needed intervention. They put up a protective order the whole week and set us up with counseling. It is rough seeing how angry he was and hurt, end quote. When Matt Burke asked the Air Force for comment on this particular command issue regarding alleged domestic violence and a protective order of a now missing military spouse, the Air Force declined to comment. But if Vince did in fact put his hands on Kelly, was that the first time placing his hands on her or any other woman for that matter? Well, we wouldn't have to search hard for the answer because we found it. According to reporter Matt Burke, Vince did have a domestic violence issue with his first wife. Kelly was his second wife. This incident occurred in 2001 in Glendale, Arizona with Vince's ex-wife. I have also seen the police report, so the following story is from the police report. I should stay up front that Vince was not convicted of this 2001 case and the charges were dropped. These are some of the Glendale details. It was December 22, 2001. At 3 a.m., the Glendale, Arizona Police Department were dispatched to a domestic incident involving a wife and a husband. Just for your essay, the couple had only been married for four months and had known each other for six months total. The husband was 20 years old and the wife was 13 years his senior at 33 years old. This was the man's first marriage and the woman's third marriage, and the woman had a daughter from a previous relationship. When the police arrived on scene, the 33-year-old wife relayed the following details of what led up to the 911 call. At approximately 1 a.m., wife and husband, the husband is Vince, in this case, they were laying in bed and the husband was talking about wanting to end it all. He wanted to commit suicide. The wife told the husband, go ahead, just do it, kill yourself then, to which the husband responded by spitting in the woman's face. They immediately jumped out of the bed and the woman in disbelief asked, did you just spit at me? And then she began to slap the husband in the face. The husband responded by placing the woman in a chokehold over the bed. A commotion must have startled the wife's biological daughter, who then ran into the room and asked what was going on. When the daughter walked in the room, the husband released the wife from the chokehold and began moving his belongings from inside the home to outside, presumably to his vehicle. 
After his third or fourth trip into the house, the wife locked the front door. When the husband demanded to be let in, the wife told him she wouldn't let him into the house without the police. The husband then proceeded to kick in the front door, and once inside, he placed his hand around the wife's neck and pressed her up against the wall. The firecracker of a wife fought back, slapping and punching the husband in the face, causing his nose to bleed. When his nose started bleeding, he released the woman and then sat in the doorway, waiting for the police to arrive. Once the police arrived, they got the woman's version of events. When they questioned the man, they asked him if he was suicidal and he responded that he wasn't suicidal because he knows that he would not go to heaven if he killed himself. Instead, he said he just wished he were dead. When they asked him about what transpired in the house, the man confirmed the wife's story. The police then handcuffed the husband and took him down to the station. Vince was ultimately charged with assault and criminal damage and domestic violence. Of note, during the argument, the husband smashed the only cell phone in the house and ripped out the landline phone out of the wall. For unknown reasons, the charges were later dropped. I did also find that the first wife said that there had been a history of domestic violence among the couple, and it appeared that it was mutual domestic violence at times. So that's the conclusion of that domestic incident that I was telling you about earlier. So let's move on. As you heard earlier, Kelly and Vince were married in 2006. While Vince had allegedly threatened Kelly with divorce leading up to her disappearance, according to that Facebook message, I haven't found anything that shows he ever filed for divorce before her disappearance. But during my interviews, I learned that within a year or two of Kelly's disappearance, Vince began dating one of his ex-girlfriends and ultimately married her. When I heard that Vince had since remarried, I was a little bit confused and I wondered about his divorce from Kelly. And that's when I learned from Janice that she had been notified back in late 2013 that Vince had filed for divorce from Kelly. After looking into it further, I obtained those divorce records and learned that a judge had granted Vince a divorce from Kelly in January of 2014. Vince had also been awarded sole custody of the two minor children. So if you know anything about the law, you might know that in order for a judge to grant a divorce, both parties must be made aware of the divorce filings. And if Kelly was missing, how did this happen? Well, this is how that went down. In September of 2013, Vince filed for a divorce from Kelly in the state of Florida. In the filing, it indicated as follows. Husband and wife were married on July 1st, 2006 in San Antonio, Texas. The parties have been separated since October 26, 2011, when the wife was reported missing in Okinawa, Japan. The U.S. Air Force has maintained an open investigation into Kelly's disappearance, but at the present time, Kelly's official status is listed as missing. See the letter dated May 3, 2013 from the U.S. Air Force OSI, end quote. The OSI letter just states that Kelly went missing in October of 2011, hasn't been seen, and this is the case number in case you're interested. Because no one knew where Kelly would be because she was a missing person after all, they had no address where they could send the filing or get her served with the divorce paperwork. So instead, they had to publish a notice in the newspaper where they thought she might see it and give her X amount of days to respond. Well, that notice was published in the Press Gazette, a newspaper released in Milton, Santa Rosa County in Florida. The publication was published four weeks in a row. It was a small blurb that read, In Ray, the marriage of Vince and Kelly. And this is just a cliff notes, by the way. To Kelly Danielle Abad, Kadena Air Force Base, Okinawa, Japan. You are notified that an action for dissolution of marriage has been filed against you and you are required to serve a copy of your written defense, if any, to the petitioner's attorney on or before November 12th, 2013. Oh, it should also be noted that the state of Florida does require parents going through a divorce to attend a parenting class. And of course, Kelly, being a missing person, couldn't attend or didn't attend. Not surprisingly, the judge entered a default judgment in Vince's divorce request, and by early 2014, Vince and Kelly were legally divorced. Now, before all this divorce stuff, something else had happened. Vince was relocated to Florida from Japan with his children, and while in Florida, he wanted to purchase a house. The thing about Florida is that if you're still married, you cannot purchase a homestead home without your spouse literally signing off on the purchase, which really can make things difficult if your whole ass spouse is whole ass missing. Well, after consulting an attorney, Vince had a plan for that. A few days shy of a year since Kelly had been missing, 
Vince requested to be appointed as the conservator of Kelly Abad, specifically for the purpose of obtaining a mortgage and the homestead property in the state of Florida. In order to make this happen quickly, Vince filed Kelly's will, which she had obtained from the base legal office on February 22, 2010. It was a typical military will, giving everything to husband and if husband predeceased her everything to kids. In the will, Kelly also named Vince as her executor. Before the judge would sign off on the request, Vince was required to give notice to her parents, and for some reason, he also sent the notice to Kelly's siblings. Ultimately, without any objection, Vince's request to serve as Kelly's conservator for purposes of buying a home was approved. Vince did go on to remarry and had at least another child. In 2014, Vince got caught up for a DUI, and then in 2018, he got caught up for a physical assault, but it wasn't domestic-related. It does appear that Vince is now retired from the Air Force. Vince has only made one public statement about Kelly's disappearance to a news outlet, and that was CNN back in December of 2011, a few months after Kelly went missing. The article was released on December 8, 2011, and was written by reporter Jethro Mullen. The headline read, quote, American woman missing in Japan threatened suicide, husband says, end quote. Reporter Mullen noted that Vince talked about the note during his interview and how Kelly's car was found a few days after she went missing. Stars and Stripes tried to reach Vince for comments as well, but were unable to make contact. Travis Tritton from Stars and Stripes did write an article after the CNN interview where he said that Vince posted on Kelly's missing persons page that the handwritten note was being analyzed by Japanese police. In the initial CNN article, it said that Vince told them that he and Kelly had fought over the phone the night she vanished, and he had gone to see a pastor who had helped the couple in the past. When he returned home, Kelly was gone, and the two kids were in bed sleeping. He figured she went to a friend's house to spend the night, so he waited until morning to report her missing. CNN reported that Vince said the family is always hoping for the best, that she's out there, but they are also aware of the possibility that his wife might have decided to leave on her own terms. According to the CNN report, Vince said, quote, right now, she's a ghost, end quote. I think that one of the most disturbing things that occurred after Kelly disappeared was when the Abad family dog ran away from home. The family dog, Pogo, apparently had gotten out of the house and Kelly's sister, Jennifer, recalls that it surprised her when she saw Vince post on Facebook asking anyone with information about his dog to contact him. On its face, this is not shocking. I see missing dog requests go out all the time in my community. But it was shocking in this case because when Kelly went missing, Vince allegedly never put out a message asking the public to help find his missing wife, the mother of his two kids. One Kadena neighbor who agreed to chat with me confided in me that when her and her husband finally caught up with Vince after Kelly went missing, well, she simply told me that Vince didn't really seem interested in talking about his missing wife. When I spoke to Stacy, Janice's tour guide, I guess you can call her, she kept really good notes about her help in searching for Kelly. She shared with me that she often took notes because she was doing so much, she knew she could easily forget if she didn't take these notes. While she browsed through her notes when I asked Stacy for an interview, she pulled up a file that she had put together about her personal interactions with Vince from November through December 2011, specifically as kind of a liaison between Janice and the kids and also Stacy's interactions with Vince during their searches for Kelly. Here is Stacy reading those notes from 12 years ago. Phone conversation. Vince tells me that the car was in the driveway, but that Kelly was gone at the beginning of the conversation. After some time, I question and he denies this statement. I tell him I must have, I must have misunderstood what he said. And then next bullet says phone conversation. Vince tells me that he goes to the gym every morning at 530 and it upsets his daughter who worries that he won't come home. He says he cannot help posting flyers of his missing wife because the time away would upset his daughter, though he states many other hobbies and activities that he's currently engaged in. Planned search led by Vince. Vince announces that Kelly was wearing a plaid skirt when she disappeared, even though all other police documents say that she was wearing a, cam a camouflage capri pants. When asked about this change of description, Vince says something to the effect of, oh yeah, something like that, I guess. It's hard for me to remember. Day of the search. After the search and conversation, Vince says that the search conducted this day was basically just a formality, quote unquote. 
Also, day of the search, no wedding ring. I also notice that his knuckles are healing. I ask him if he boxes. He claims he was grappling with another Marine and forgot his gloves. Day of the search, shares with the group about strange coincidence of a book that he bought for a recent return flight that turned out to be about a husband and a wife who goes missing. Visitation. Vince tells me he is going to therapy, but that it is, quote unquote, just a formality so that he can get cleared to fly again. He says the therapist told him that he's fine and already doing everything that he should be doing without ever having to tell him. Visitation. I asked Vince if he was okay, since we had heard a rumor that a body was recovered from the ocean. I was worried how such news would affect both him and Janice. Vince very confidently brushed off the notion and said he knew it was nothing and it did not affect him at all. So next bullet, visitation. Vince makes a very public declaration on Facebook thanking me for all the help with the family. Visitation. Vince calls me while he is eating lunch at Chili's and urgently asks me to post on the internet his missing family dog, taking away from the help of Janice finding Kelly. After I agreed to post the issue, Vince follows with another very detailed post complete with a clear photo and information about the missing dog, all of which he has never done for his wife. Next bullet, visitation. Vince talks about an unknown friend, quote unquote, throwing him under the bus with speculations in the media. Most references to people showing question or speculation about his character are met with anger, self-righteousness, or amusement. He finds it, quote-unquote, hilarious that his interest and references to serial killer shows such as Dexter have provoked negative responses. Visitation. Vince tells me how happy he is to be in the military on base because, quote-unquote, the media can't touch him. He voices how he knows that if he were in America, that the media would be hounding him. But he is protected by the military and no one can do anything to him. He failed to mention how that has benefited him with the lack of media attention and has hindered the efforts of finding his wife. Next bullet, visitation. Vince makes several references to psychological thrillers about men that end up killing women or their wives. Goes into great detail to tell us about watching a really great movie recently called Secret Window with Johnny Depp. The movie is not a new release. I watched it when I got home. The plot centers around a man who catches his adulterous wife in an affair, loses his mind, and kills her in a way that no one will ever be able to solve the crime. Next bullet. Visit at Vince's house to help Miss Janice retrieve some of Kelly's belongings. Vince receives a call with an audible young female voice crying over the phone. He ends the call quickly, promising to call her back later, but concludes with, I love you too. Next bullet, visitation in the car on the way back from the airport. Vince discusses women that leave their children unattended and how he quote unquote just wants to punch them in the face. Next bullet, visitation. Vince shares with me that when he and Kelly vacationed in Guatemala that they had their own private boat. Yet in weeks prior, he said he needed to take a boat class to get certified to ride a boat along the coast of Zampa to look for Kelly. He never followed through with his alleged plans to take that course. Chapter 7. Was Kelly Keeping a Secret? Stacy is what most of us would want in an investigative partner if we needed help solving a case. She is eager to help, she takes good note, and she's observant. And she never, ever, ever assumes. As discussed, Stacy did not think she would become a part of the case in any way, besides helping Janice look and run down information. But one day, on Facebook, she noticed something that led to something else. That something began a conversation that ultimately led Stacy to go into OSI and make a formal statement. The name of the main character in Stacy's OSI statement has been removed to protect people who have never been named in the media before. But OSI does have this information. It's not so much about who said it so much as it is about what they said. I think the statement may be shocking to some, if you know Kelly, but I do think it's important to share for a full picture. In researching Kelly's case, it was this statement that led me to believe that maybe someone out there does know something. So this was December 8th of 2011. And I wrote, hello, my name is 
and I'm a civilian spouse residing in Ona, Okinawa, Japan. As a concerned citizen, after hearing about the disappearance of Kelly Cribbs Abad, I made contact with her mother, Janice Cribbs, shortly after her arrival to Okinawa to offer my help and assistance in any way to help find her daughter. Mrs. Cribbs quickly accepted my offer and I immediately began devoting hours of my time each day to assisting her in a variety of tasks from simple errands and provisions to the development, printing and distribution of flyers, helping keep the Facebook community informed of all the efforts, as well as helping Mrs. Cribbs with the research, phone calls, inquiries, and transportation, accompanying her to most of her appointments. I also aided in shoreline search for Kelly that was organized by Kelly's husband, Vince Abad, on Saturday, December 3rd, 2011. The same day, I also made arrangements with Vince Abad to help facilitate visitation between his two children, Kyrie and Vinny, and their grandmother, Janice Cribbs. Vincent had withheld visitation from her for a week due to being angered by Mrs. Cribbs speaking to the media. I offered to assist the visitations daily from 3.30 to 5.30 as an objective third-party peacekeeper. Vincent agreed and began those visitations on Monday, December 5th, 2011. In the process of becoming involved with Kelly's family and search efforts, some people from Kelly's support page on Facebook sent me friends requests. One request came from a who has sent me a message inquiring the status of the investigation and if police were suspecting foul play. I did not initially respond to his inquiry because I noticed that he was located in Canada and I did not see Kelly Abad listed as one of his friends, so I did not feel that responding was appropriate in this case due to lack of relevance to his need to know. I believe that first email to me was mid to late November. Though I have given copies to, of all correspondence to Mrs. Cribbs, as well as Family Advocacy and OSI. The other day, I was doing a Google search on Kelly Cribbs Abad when some information appeared of a who has a MySpace profile in which Kelly Abad was his only friend. I recognized the name and the photograph as the same from Facebook. After receiving his Facebook profile again, I made note that he is listed as married with children and went to college for criminal justice. I also observed many public posts on his wall indicating that he travels frequently for work. Several references to having traveled to or states on quote unquote the rock. And I wrote in parentheses, many people in Okinawa refer to the island as the rock. After reviewing the correlation between Facebook and MySpace pro profile accounts, I responded to his initial query email addressed to me from November. I apologize for taking so long to respond and that I did not want to alarm or offend him or jeopardize his family, but that I had discovered the MySpace account belonging to him in which Kelly Abad was his only friend. I asked him to please share any information he had about Kelly that may be relevant to her history, emotional state, marriage, or disappearance. A couple of days later, responded that he had a quote-unquote virtual relationship with Kelly Abad on the phone and on the internet and Skype that has spanned the course of approximately 10 years. He said that Kelly placed a lot of trust in him and that he knew that Kelly was having difficulty in her marriage and that Vince had discovered intimate videos of Kelly that were sent to him from her phone stated that he was worried about Kelly, but also asked me not to share this information with his wife or family. I responded to again to assure him that we did not wish to interfere with his family, but were only seeking more details about Kelly. I asked if he would please share with me the last time that he had contact with Kelly and if she had ever discussed plans of leaving Vince and the kids, if she ever spoke of taking her own life or even expressed fearing her for her physical safety responded again to say that his last contact with Kelly was in August of this year. She expressed being tired of the drama, but that she wanted to save the marriage as a Christian woman that does not believe in divorce. He said she never expressed wanting to end her life and was devoted to her children and does not believe that she would ever leave them. He again expressed concern for finding her. I have given copies of these messages to Family Advocacy, OSI, and Mrs. Cribbs for documentation. So it does not appear that Kelly ever met up with this man. I guess we don't know. But I'm going to call this guy John Smith. 
But for him to say that they had a 10-year online relationship despite being married and Kelly having been married to Vince since 2006, of course, that's a little bit of a shock. What exactly happened in August to cause Kelly to want to end this online relationship? Did Vince actually find these intimate videos? Was he upset? And if that online relationship ended in August, what did Vince find on Kelly's Facebook page from some guy named David? Again, all of this just deepens the mystery. What truly happened to Kelly? Chapter 8, the final chapter. No one is talking about it. Everyone is talking about it. For the last several years, I have sat with this case heavy in my heart. Every case is heavy on me, but something about this case. Maybe it's that every few days, Janice will message me a picture of her daughter and tell me how much she misses her. Maybe it's because a year ago when I interviewed Janice and I heard her break down, every time I look at my own daughters, I cannot fathom not knowing where one of them was. Janice must wonder every minute of the day. Kelly is her youngest. She must wonder, is my baby cold? Is she fed? If she's no longer with us, did she meet a terrible death? Did she really commit suicide? Why did she have to marry a military man? Why aren't more people talking about my precious baby? When I first prepared for Kelly's case in the fall of 2021, I didn't realize the amount of silence around Kelly's disappearance. But then, the minute Kelly's name is mentioned in my Facebook group, the whispers start. Every now and then, I get very secretive, scrolly messages about how people think this is a cover-up, how people have gotten in trouble for talking too much about Kelly. I've had various people provide me information and then tell me not to share their name. And a handful of military spouses have had to ask their spouses for permission before they even agreed to talk to me. Mind you, I get that many people are trying to be mindful of their spouse's careers, but a woman is missing for goodness sake. If someone hurt Kelly or even worse, there is a very dangerous person living among us, walking the streets where your kids play. Yet here we are keeping secrets and hush-hushing anyone who says anything about Kelly. These are just a few comments that I have read. Quote, sad, I was there in 2011. Don't remember hearing about this. Quote, good luck. I tried reaching out to a few of these people and was bashed in messages by friends and or family of a few of them saying they didn't want their names out there. I pray she is found or someone has some information. She deserves that. Quote, we were stationed there when this happened. People were out looking for her and I kept my eyes peeled every time I was out. Where her car was found had been searched and it wasn't found until I believe three days later. I know for a fact that military police had covered up and destroyed evidence from files of their buddies in other cases, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was happening here too. These types of messages make me so sad and it makes me wonder, if I went missing, would anyone even care? Would anyone even look? I have heard unofficially and anonymously, this is definitely a suicide. If you could just see the investigative file, you would understand. This is what I've been told. So I say, then show it to me. Better yet, show it to Matt Burke. He's a journalist. I'm just a podcaster that wants to raise awareness about these cases, who advises people to remain vigilant. But show it. Show it to a reporter. Show it. Through my show, I encourage people to open their mouths. Say something. Sadly, who knows how many others have come forward during the initial stages of Kelly's missing persons investigation. But maybe just like Bernice, these people were ignored. Or maybe they PCS and in the hustle and bustle of life, they lost track of the case. Military life is so chaotic, especially overseas assignments. And let's not even talk about the deployment tempo when Kelly went missing. I even heard from people who had just returned from deployment or people who were getting ready to deploy all around the time that Kelly went missing. Honestly, this is a case where it's easy to believe there is one and only one culprit, but I don't think that's the case. I do believe there is someone or a couple of someones out there that know something. And if you're listening, I want you to know that it's never too late to do the right thing and come forward. Matt Burke was especially helpful for me in putting this story together, and he has put a lot of time and resources into helping the Cribs family. He had a power of attorney from Janice. He told me that he has helped her or filed for her over a dozen Freedom of Information Act requests, and all of them have been denied. He even requested a FOIA for the gate video information where security forces claimed they saw Kelly's car returning to base and then leaving within the hour, but that request was also denied. 
Janice describes something else about this gate video. Here she is to describe that for us. The other thing was the um, camera footage. Uh, I asked for that repeatedly, both for the husband's going and coming footage and for Kelly's. And um, I asked in the beginning when I just got over there after this happened. And they told me, I don't know, they gave me all these reasons why they couldn't show it to me or they were looking for it or whatever. And then later, I think it was before the case was closed or maybe right after, I wrote them again. And they said, oh, we're just so sorry. That's just not going to be possible because after 30 days, the camera footage is covered over by the neck. It's, uh, it's like a rerun. It's covered over by the neck. And I'm like, wait, wait. I've been asking for this since day one. And now you tell me it's covered over by another, um, you know, whatever. It's the next set of, of whoever come in the gate. And, uh, and besides, if it was evidence, how could you not keep it? How could you not do that? And, and I was just so upset. In discussing this repeated denial of information, one must wonder if Kelly were to be officially declared dead, would the Air Force release the file or parts of the file? Would that even be helpful? But I can only imagine getting one's own daughter declared dead is harder than not knowing. And I think that's where Kelly's family finds themselves. Clearly, time is on their side since a person typically has to be missing for seven years before they can be declared dead. And it's already been 12 years. But that's a decision the family has to make. I've spoken to Janice about it various times, but it's not something she is currently willing to do. At one point, Janice thought Dateline was going to record an episode about Kelly. Instead, after the interview, Kelly's case was just featured on Dateline's missing persons website. Kelly's disappearance, as all missing persons cases, is extremely disappointing. When I asked Matt Burke, an American reporter who works the Japanese beat about crime on the island and missing persons, he told me honestly that Japan does not report on missing persons the way the U.S. does. Yes, yes, people do go missing in Japan, but you won't hear about it on the five o'clock news. Matt told me, quote, due to privacy, Okinawa police won't say how many women have been reported missing from here over the years how many are currently missing or anything like that. They won't name them, release photos, etc. even in the vein of getting the info out there to try and solve the case. They do the exact opposite of police in America, end quote. In researching this case, I also heard about the Yakuza. The Yakuza are like the Japanese mafia that spend time in the local area outside the military base in Japan. But apparently they seem to keep away from Americans. At least that's what I've heard. Whether it's true or not, I am sure that there are mixed reviews. Sadly, one of the most resonating statements I have heard in my research for answers to cover this case is this, quote, it's really easy to make a body disappear in Okinawa. This place is a dense jungle, end quote. A year after Kelly went missing, Travis Tritton from Stars and Stripes, who followed Kelly's missing person story, reached out to Air Force Public Affairs for comment. Back in December of 2012, he got a response that said, quote, Evidence obtained thus far does not support Vincent had any physical contact with Kelly after he left for work on the morning the day she went missing, nor did evidence support Vincent was part of any nefarious activities resulting in her disappearance, end quote. Seven years after Kelly went missing, Linda Card, the public affairs chief for OSI, made another statement. In the statement to Stars and Stripes about Kelly's case, she said, quote, The Abad case was a joint case with the Japanese. It has been investigatively closed since 2014. OSI's role in a missing persons investigation would be to rule out foul play on the part of the active duty member. There was no foul play determined in the cause of death, end quote. The weird thing is this. We really don't know. We don't know what happened to Kelly. Why was there only one fingerprint found in the car? Did someone wipe down the car? Why would someone on the verge of suicide wipe down the vehicle of fingerprints? Where was Kelly's car for those three days after she went missing? What happened to Kelly? Was someone waiting for Kelly at the house when she got home from church? If investigators ruled Kelly's death a suicide within hours of finding her vehicle, was it just a matter of getting the case off their books as quickly and quietly as possible as to not upset the local nationals? Kelly's case feels different. 
It feels more cold than closed. But sadly, Kelly isn't the only unsolved missing military spouse case out there. There are many family members still looking for their loved ones years and even decades later. I spoke to various people, filed my fair share of requests for information to bring new life to Kelly's case. But I don't think we're any closer to knowing what happened to Kelly. But on this 12-year anniversary of her disappearance, I wanted to remember Kelly. She is one of us. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's imperfect. She deserves justice. Like all of us, she wasn't a perfect spouse, but she deserves to live for her two kids. Kelly's children were one and four when she went missing and are now in their teens. While I am sure their dad has provided a lovely life for them, I am sure they wonder about their mom. The idea that their mom could have just abandoned them after neatly tucking them into bed after church must be heartbreaking. In that CNN interview that Vince did back in December of 2011, he told CNN reporter Mullen that a few weeks after Kelly went missing, he found his daughter crying one night. When he asked her what was wrong, she simply replied, quote, we don't have a mommy, end quote. Kelly is five feet, seven inches tall, and she weighs 116 pounds. She has blondish hair, green eyes, and while she was soft-spoken, she always had words to say. She would stick out like a sore thumb in the Japanese community. Before you go, I ask you one thing. Please share Kelly's story. I know Janice has waited a few years for me to cover her case, and I came to a point where I realized that no one else would be giving me any further information. So here we are. This is the story. If you know anything about Kelly's disappearance, be sure to follow Kelly's Missing Persons Facebook page that I will link in the show notes. I am sure I am not making any friends by giving out OSI's information on here since they have made up their mind that Kelly committed suicide. But if you have any information that might indicate that this is not a suicide, you can contact OSI by leaving an online tip at p3tips.com. That's P, the number three, the letter T, the letter I, the letter P, the letter S.com. When you get to this website, there is a box where you can type up the description of what you know. And then under offense type, I would put in cold case. The case number file, as described in that divorce filing many, many years ago, is 3318-311-3211940. Please follow Kelly's Missing Persons page on Facebook. Her mom posts often to remember her daughter on Kelly's birthday, on her Mother's Day, and all other major holidays. Janice does what anyone in her situation would do. She posts pictures of her daughter telling her she loves her and asking anyone with information to come forward. I'll leave you with Janice's very own words. There are way over 500 people that have responded to Kelly's situation over there. There are a lot of people that are very touched by her uh, missing. And that really does, it does touch my heart that there are still people that care about what happened to her. I know that it wasn't cut and dried and just suicide. And that somebody somewhere does know they have that piece of information where the car was those three days or whether she, where she was those three days and whether or not it was just brought back. And I prayed that, that God will get a hold of their heart. And they'll come forward and they'll help me find out so I can bring her home if they know where she is, whether she's with us or not. Anyway, it does help me some to know that there's that many people that care about what happened to her because if this could, this travesty could happen to her with the lack of um, what you want to call it, investigation or whatever, it could happen to other spouses or whether they're male or female, it could happen to somebody else. That's another reason it needs to be brought to light or either the case needs to be reopened or either the person or persons that know need to come forward and just tell the truth. I know there was a lot that went on the next few days after she went missing. I wish no one, no ill will. I just want to bring Kelly home. When I asked Janice if she had a few words for her grandkids, Kelly's daughter and son, this is what Janice had to say. I love you, miss you. I know we'll get to see each other one day and things will be better. Maybe we get to see the farm again. Now your mom loved you. To end my conversation with Janice, I asked her what she missed most about her youngest daughter, Kelly. 
And this is what she said. I guess her smile. She had a pretty smile. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. If you or anyone you know is experiencing violence or any type of abuse at the hands of an intimate partner, please reach out for help. You can reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. But I understand that the last person you might want to speak to about your situation is a stranger. So if you feel comfortable, share what you're going through discreetly with a family member, a neighbor, or a church member. The goal is to be sure you tell someone who will be discreet in helping you create a plan. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to this two-part episode on Kelly Cribs Abad. I know you could have spent your day listening to a million other true crime shows, but I appreciate you listening here first. I want to thank all the people who spoke with me. I started my research on this case, as I mentioned, two years ago, always hitting a snag, always feeling like I wasn't capable of telling Kelly's story. But this year, as we hit Kelly's 12th year since she went missing, I felt the time was now or never. I want to shout out Janice and Jennifer for allowing me to tell Kelly's story. Thank you to Jeff Smith, a concerned Marine veteran who had conducted various searches for Kelly on the island. He also met with OSI and many Japanese investigators to try to get an update on Kelly's case. Thanks to Kate, Sam, Jessica, Bridget, Cheryl, and Bernice for filling in giant gaps and helping me to understand military spouse culture at Kadena. Thank you to Matt Burke and Kristen Davis, who are reporters. They were willing to talk to me about Kelly's case. And I owe a big, big thank you to Stacy, who took hours to describe to me the first few weeks of the search for Kelly. Her detailed notes really helped to paint a picture for me. In addition to my interviews with various people, I used various court filings to inform this story, such as police reports and divorce filings. I also used articles from Stars and Stripes, NBC News, and CNN. And I did speak to Marissa from the Vanish podcast and listen to her episode on Kelly. Before you leave today, please do me a favor and click that subscribe button. It's free. You can do it wherever you're listening. And that way you're notified as soon as I drop my next episode. Military Murder was created by Mama Margot Production. Shout out to all my supporters through Patreon and Apple Premium. The executive producers for this episode are Jen, Tina, Alicia, Falcon 13, Nicole, and Myrtle. The theme music was created by Tie Ups. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. I was working on our podcast. I don't want to.